You know who is really winning during a global pandemic? Our pets, our dogs, our animals that we have at home. Uh, we have a dog who's like an 80 pound puppy named Lainey and she's a golden doodle, just amazing with our toddler, amazing companion around the house. But she's the one that's really winning these days in our house with us being home so much more. I mean, she's getting to go on many more walks than she used to. She's getting lots of different uh, snacks. Her and Jack share Cheerios all the time. And she likes cleaning up his high chair after meals. And she just gets to hang out with her parents and her little brother all the time. And you look at her and she has no idea the chaos that's going on in our world. She's just full of so much just ridiculous joy. And it doesn't matter what's going on outside because she's like, life is pretty good to me. And I think our pets are really a great example of joy and happiness during this crazy season. And I thought over the next five weeks, uh, it'd be a great deep dive for us to talk about this thing, this emotion called joy. And you might be saying, hey, why are we talking about joy during a crisis? Why are we talking about this happy, good feeling emotion during a time that is chaotic and it's very, very feel fearful? You might say, hey, is that tone deaf? Shouldn't we just be talking about fear and anxiety all the time or social isolation all the time? You might be saying that, but I actually believe that this is the perfect time in our history as a church, and it's the perfect cultural moment for us to talk about this powerful thing called joy. I think it's the perfect time for it. I love this quote from Barbara Johnson. She says this. She says that the church, or we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. Church people, we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. In other words, in other words, the world around us, it is a Good Friday world. It is that day that Jesus was killed, the day that God died, the crucifixion. It is a dark time outside all around us. Lots of chaos, lots of fear, lots of uncertainty about what's going to happen, lots of despair. That's what our world feels like outside. But Barbara Johnson says that we're not Good Friday people. We're actually Easter people. We have been shaped and transformed by the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. And so wherever we go, we have this like spunky attitude of resurrection and hope and light and love that follows us. And it should be our guiding emotion through our world. We are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. You know, one of the gifts that I think this global pandemic can ultimately give followers of Jesus, his body, the church, is that it really point blank tells us and explains to us and points a spotlight on the truth that church is not a social club. Church is not an event. Church is not a um, couple songs and a sermon. No, church is so much more than that. Church is a people <laughs> that are on mission together. And church should actually be a counterculture to what's going on in the culture at large. And not a cheesy Christian bumper sticker counterculture, but a counterculture that's almost a parody of the hopelessness and the despair that we feel and we find in our world. The church should be marked with defiant joy. Not ignoring the pain and the anxiety and the fear. I and mean, this is not what we're talking about, is ignoring what many of us are feeling. That's not what Jesus did at the cross and through his resurrection, but not ignoring the hurt and the pain, but subverting it. 
by staring it down, looking at the worst that our world can offer us and say that despair, you don't win. Hopelessness, you don't win. We have a defiant joy about us. That's what I'm praying and I'm hoping that this series will spark in us is defiant joy. I love that phrase defiant joy because I think about what defiance really is. Defiance is a bold disobedience to the cultural norms. It's a bold disobedience to the way things are supposed to be. And when I think about defiance, defiant people, I think about punk rock. And maybe you're not a big fan of punk rock, but punk rock actually began in the late 1970s. And a lot of music uh, historians, they would say that punk rock began in 1978 with the release of the Ramones' first album. The Ramones released this album on the world and so many people didn't even know what hit them because this punk rock that the Ramones were playing, I mean, it wasn't pretty, it wasn't complex, but it had so much attitude to, towards it. I mean, it was like, can we play it faster? Can we play it louder? Can we sing it with more attitude? And I don't care if the guitars are in tune, if the singing is on key, but it just had this swagger about it. And I love that act of defiance towards popular music, saying, hey, our popular music doesn't need to sound like Perry Cuomo. It doesn't need to sound like anything that you've heard that sounds nice on the radio. That's what punk rock did, and that's what the Ramones started. I believe, you guys, that God is inviting us, his church, his people, to be a defiant moment and to be a defiant people during this cultural moment that says, hey, we don't need to be the way that our world is, but God's inviting us to something different. And you guys, I believe what our world needs more than anything right now is joy, a defiant joy that doesn't ignore the hurt and the pain and the fear and the despair, but stares it down saying that you don't get the last word on me because we follow a resurrected Jesus. And joy gets the last word in our attitude and in our actions. So that's what we're gonna be talking about for these next five weeks is how we can be people that embody this defiant joy. But first, we need to spend some time this morning, and this is going to be a big overview about what joy is and where joy is found. And to talk about what joy is and where joy is, we need to begin by talking about this idea of joy and happiness. Because a lot of times I think we conflate the two things and we mix them all up and we get confused about what happiness is and what joy is. You know, I took to Facebook this week and I asked a bunch of people um, what gave them joy. And most of the answers that came back were actually what I would say, uh, they were more defined by what happiness is and what brings us happiness. People talked about warm weather while it was snowing outside. People talked about watching The Office or traveling. Um, those things are the things that brought them joy, but I would actually argue that those things um, bring us happiness more than it brings us joy. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between happiness and joy. I'll say this to start. I think happiness is actually something that happens to you. Happiness is what happens to you. It's this cause and effect. If this thing happens in my life, then the effect that I will feel is happiness. Something happens, then we feel happy. Maybe you get a bonus, maybe you get a new car, maybe the sun is shining and it's really warm outside, or maybe you get your stimulus check from the federal government during this crisis, or maybe you get that direct deposit and then you feel this emotion of happiness. And that might be what you think happiness is or what you think joy is, but I would argue that's more what happiness is. It's this emotion that happens because something outside of us occurs in our lives and it happens to us. 
but it's something that happens to you. And, and that's not what joy is. Joy, as we'll find throughout the series, is a deep emotion that happens internally. And it's something that is given to us from God. Happiness is something that happens to us in circumstances, but joy is deeper than that. The next thing I'll say about what happiness actually is, is that happiness is insecure. Happiness is a moving target. Have you ever noticed that these smartphones, these supercomputers that we carry around in our pockets, we're fine with it until we see an ad or we see an email or a commercial about the new model. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, this thing actually looks blurry. Uh, this, this phone actually is really slow. This phone is not what I want anymore. I want the new model. And we think that, oh, we're going to be happy the day that we unbox that new model. But then a couple years later, six months down the road, we're like, oh, I'm not too happy with it anymore. Happiness is a moving target. Or sometimes uh, we can spend all our time thinking that, oh, if I get this one thing, I'm going to be happy. And then we receive it and we just feel dissatisfied. We feel like it's another thing that we can complain about in our lives. For example, uh, I, I'm a, a musician. I love playing music. I love dabbling uh, with electric guitars. And so a couple months back, I had been looking at buying an electric guitar I never had before, but I'm like, oh, it looks so cool. And this was a 60th anniversary Fender Jazzmaster. And it was in this like, supposed to be candy apple red, beautiful soap bar pickups, these awesome inlays on the fretboard. It was just a really cool looking guitar. And I found a great deal on one that was in a music store somewhere in uh, Missouri, and they were going to ship it to me. And I was just so pumped. I had spent so much time watching videos of people playing this guitar, looking at all these uh, these descriptions and people sort of doing playthroughs on the guitars, read so much about them. And I was so excited. I saved up. I actually sold two other guitars so I could get this one nice Fender Jazzmaster, and I get the guitar, and it looks beautiful. Or at first, I think it looks beautiful. I take it, I start playing it, and you know what? I just can't get a sound out of it that I like. It was nothing like what I thought the videos were. With my other gear, it just sounded really thin and hollow, and I'd spent so much time thinking this guitar was going to make me happy. This was going to provide me the lost sounds that I couldn't get on any other instrument, and it just, just led me to dissatisfaction. <laughs> It just led me to so much dissatisfaction. So I ended up turning around and selling it because it didn't even look candy apple red to me anymore. It kind of looked pink and I just wanted it out of my house. <laughs> you know, I, I, this is a, a quote I love by Don Draper from the show Mad Men from a few years back. This is what he said about happiness. He said, what is happiness? Happiness is the moment before you need more happiness. <laughs> The writers of Proverbs, King Solomon in the Old Testament said this about our desires and this moving target of happiness. He said, death and destruction are never satisfied and neither is human desire. Our eyes aren't satisfied. Our human desire is just never satisfied in the same way that death and destruction, heavy words that Solomon uses here, are not satisfied. And that's what happens because happiness is insecure. It's a moving target. I mean, joy will find you guys is unshakable and it's constant and it's stable where happiness is insecure. Last thing I'll say about happiness, happiness is defined by the facts. And sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a not so good thing. Happiness is defined by the facts. When the facts of our life are good, happiness is there and it's, that's where happiness is found. And when our relationships are soaring and we're connected to our spouse, our partner, our kids, I mean, that's the facts there. Happiness is there. Um, 
if work is awesome, then you know we're feeling happy. If money is good and we've got more money than we have month, then we are doing really well and we're feeling really happy. Those are the facts there. And if the facts are good, happiness is there. But when the facts aren't good, happiness is nowhere to be found. When the economy tanks, when we've got to apply for unemployment, when someone is sick and we don't know what to do about it, when you hit a slump at work and you're not selling the way you used to, I mean, there's no happiness to be found because the facts about your life are not very good. And I just want to offer this thought that, you know, happiness is defined by the facts, but the facts aren't the total reality or sum of your life. And what joy does, we'll find, joy is produced by the ultimate eternal truth. And facts don't always convey the ultimate truth of our lives, but joy is something that's deeper than that. It goes beyond our circumstances, beyond the facts, and it's found in eternal truth. So what is joy? We've talked about what happiness is, but what is joy? And I worked hard on this definition that we're going to use over the next five weeks in this series. What is joy? And a joy, we sing about it at Christmas time, joy to the world, but what is it actually in our lives? And this is the definition I want us to work with. Joy is this. Joy is a God-produced good feeling in the soul that enables us to respond to all of life's experiences with eternal perspective. This is what joy is. Now let's break this down. Joy is a God-produced thing, which means that it's not something that's produced in me. It's not something that I can muster up. It's not some kind of muscle that I can stretch and I can build on my own. It's not something that I can gather through reading more self-help books and positive thinking. It's not something there. It's actually God-produced. It's something that the divine gifts to us. The next thing that in our definition about what joy is, it's a good feeling in the soul. It actually feels good. God wants you to feel this emotion, and he wants your life to be defined by this emotion that feels good. What does that tell you about your heavenly father, that he wants you to have a good feeling in your soul? But it's, it's deep in your soul. It's not just on the surface. And I think that's another thing we need to realize about what joy is. It's deep down. It's not a smiley, happy-go-lucky thing, but it's a strong, deep emotion that we can have that gives us this deep satisfaction no matter what our circumstances are. And that's the last part of the definition, is that joy enables us to respond to all of life's circumstances with eternal perspective. Joy takes our nose out of the screen, directly onto the screen. It pulls us back to see the widescreen, long view of what God is doing in our lives and through our lives. And it enables us to look at whatever our current circumstances are and say that this is not all there is. God is doing more. That is what joy is. And it's bigger and it's deeper. And dare I say, it's far more beautiful than happiness is that we seek after so often in our lives. So what I wanna do for the remainder of our time together is I wanna look deeply at the source of joy. And I believe that the source of joy is found in God, in your heavenly Father. That's where true joy is found. And to do that, we're going to look at who God is and how joy exudes everything that he is and everything that he does. And to start, we're gonna look at joy inside of the Trinity. Now, I'm not gonna spend much time trying to explain to you what the Trinity is because I would get confused, you would get confused because the Trinity is the mystery of who God is. God is three distinct persons all sharing the divine nature 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's who God is. And if you look deeply at the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you see joy everywhere because it's just who God is. Now, if you would take a microscope and you would take a piece of bread and you would look closely at that microscope, you would see motion happening. And it's actually what scientists call Brownian motion, where you see particles with kinetic energy moving back and forth all over whatever you look at in a microscope. And if you take a microscope up to God, just hypothetically, you would see joy bringing this energy between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because it's just who God is, and it's what energizes the activity of God. It's joy. Now, first, just I'm going to walk through a couple examples here of how joy happens inside of the Trinity. We see here at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3, um, verse 17, we see that God the Father, when Jesus gets baptized, says, this is my son who brings me great joy. And then we see that in, this, in the picture, we see uh, the Holy Spirit hovering over the baptism like a dove. They're all right there and where God the Father is getting so much joy out of seeing his son, Jesus, baptized. Later, in Luke chapter 10, we see that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Son is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we're told that Jesus is filled with great joy when people, they understand and they return and, and get God's truth into their lives. So God the Father's truth happens in people's lives. And we see that Jesus, the Son, is filled with great joy from the Holy Spirit. Later on in one of Paul's letters to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2.10 we're told that the Holy Spirit reveals the Son's love to people, and then God's people come back to the Father. So we see all three members of the Trinity here, and we see that this brings the Father great joy when people come back to him. Look no further than in the relationship of God himself in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for joy everywhere because it's the energy inside of the Trinity. Now, if I didn't lose everybody there getting really nerdy and really theological, we'll move on there. But I want you to understand that God is the God of joy, and joy is inside of the relationship in the Trinity. The next thing I want us to understand is that God, our Father, has joy in us, in you, and in me. He actually enjoys us. I mean, some of us are stuck in this thought that, yeah, I believe that God, he loves us, but he doesn't like us. I mean, he loves us because he has to. It's just who he is. But no, we're actually told the picture that we get of God throughout the scriptures is that he likes you and he loves you. I love this from one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, Zephaniah 3.17. This is what he says about God and you and this joy that God has. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. He takes delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Now, does that sound like a relationship where they don't really like each other? No, this is saying that God, he likes you. He enjoys you. You bring him joy and gladness. He actually sings songs over you. I was thinking this last week, it's just something that I naturally do when I'm around uh, our 14 month old son, Jack, is I'll pick him up and I'll just sing silly songs about him. I'll make anything rhyme with Jack, just try to get him laugh and to hold him and swing him around to get him to giggle. I'll talk about Cadillacs and Paddywhacks and how Jack doesn't talk back and all these different kinds of things. And you can imagine the terrible songs I make up about him. But it just brings me so much joy to sing to him. And I think how much more so does this passage tell us that our Heavenly Father gets joy from us? 
He's not waiting on you to do something so then he will love you and like you, but he likes you. He gets joy, joy from you because it's who he is and you are his child and he created you and he loves you. Joy is found in his love for his people, for people like you and me. But not only this, but there is great joy that we see in God when people find their way back to God. There's this incredible passage in the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel is just one of the accounts of Jesus' life. And I want to walk us through this chapter. It's Luke 15, and Luke was an eyewitness who interviewed people, hung out with Jesus and a lot of his followers. And uh, this is what he recorded about this incredible joy that God has. Um, here, in, we'll start in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that Jesus, he was associating, associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus was gathering a crowd of people that the religious people thought, oh, we should not be hanging out with these people. And so they're getting upset about this. And what Jesus does throughout the entire uh, chapter of Luke 15 is that he actually talks directly to the people that are uncomfortable with who Jesus is hanging out with. And he's like, I want you to understand what God is like and the thing that really brings God joy. And so he talks right to those religious leaders and those uh, Pharisees who thought that Jesus shouldn't be hanging out with these people. And he's like, no, you're missing the point about who God is. And he tells three incredible stories. The first story is about a lost sheep. He says that there was a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and he loses one. And what does the shepherd do? He goes searching for the one all day and night to find the one. And then he puts him on his back when he finds him and he celebrates the joy. And he feels this incredible emotion of joy when he finds the one. And Jesus says, this is the same celebration and joy that there is in heaven when one lost son or daughter comes home, when one lost sinner comes home and finds their way back to God. He goes right into another story where he, he tells a story of this lost coin where there's a woman who had 10 coins in her house and each coin was like a day's wages and she loses one. And what does she do? She doesn't just say, well, it's just one coin. No, she goes searching all over the house, turning heaven on its head, looking for this, uh, this one coin, turning the couches over, looking and sweeping everything, trying to find this one coin. And when she finds it, she experiences so much joy. And Jesus says there's more joy in heaven over one person who comes home to God the Father than this. And then he breaks into a third story with much more detail. And this is a story you might have heard before. Some people call it the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. And I think it's more aptly uh, titled the, the story of the prodigal father. We see this in this story that there's a son who comes to his father saying, hey, I want my inheritance for, um, that you're going to give me when you die right now, which is basically saying, Father, I'd rather you be dead than me do anything else right now. And so he's basically saying, uh, I'm done with you, Dad. I want my inheritance. And then, so his father gives him his inheritance. Then he goes off and he parties it all away. He has like a rough couple weeks in Las Vegas and he loses everything. And he finds himself basically living in a pigsty. And he's like, well, at least I should go home because at least at home I'm fed and my father's going to be so mad at me. And he's probably never going to look at me again because of what I did, but I should at least go home. So he goes home thinking that he can at least have some food in his stomach and a clean place to sleep at the end of the day. And that's when I want us to pick up here in verse 20 of Luke uh, 15. So the son, he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, 
filled with love and compassion, the father, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven, both God and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Now, what I want us to see from this is that the father ran to his son. Now, Jewish men during this period of history would never be caught running. It was undignified. They would trip over their tunic. They would get themselves all dirty. It was something that dignified people were never supposed to do. But the father is so moved by his son coming home and he's so filled with compassion and love that he runs after his son. And his son comes with his mea culpa saying, hey, I am, you know, I shouldn't have done this. And he's trying to get mercy from his father. But it's incredible the compassion that his father had. And as he runs towards him, then he continues on. He said, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I love this. So the party began. The father said, hey, we're going to throw a big party. We're going to throw a rager for our son who came home because we are so filled with joy. We need to celebrate this with a feast that everybody will remember and nobody will forget because my son who is lost, my son who is dead has now returned. You see this joy that is found in Jesus this joy that he's explaining to these tax collectors and these religious leaders, and he's explaining to us that this is the joy that he experiences when somebody finds their way back to him. He loves it so much. You guys, God is the source of joy. Joy in the Trinity, joy in us, just because we're his children, just because we're his creation, he enjoys us, but also joy in people finding hope, finding freedom, finding life in Jesus, coming back to Jesus. Jesus is the source of joy. That's where we find joy. Now, one thing that we need to do uh, as we're sort of laying the plane on this first message in this series is that we need to take a step in remaining in the source of joy. That's what I want to challenge you to do is to make a plan to remain in the source of joy, to remain in God. And it's in, for us to do this, we need to make sure that we have rhythms or practices in our life that um, bring us face-to-face with the source of joy and so that we don't forget the joy that we have in God. And there are three directional things that I want to lead us in, up, in, and out. First, we need to um, spend time with him. We need to look up and remain in the source of joy in that way, to spend time with him. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. This is what he says about remaining in a relationship with your heavenly father. He says, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them, God himself. If you are close to it, it will spray it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. He's saying if you want to remain in this source of joy and power and peace and all these things, you've got to get close to the source. And so that's what I want to challenge you to do is for you to develop a plan to where you can directionally look up and spend time with your heavenly father who is the source of joy. What are some ways you can do that? One, you can attend these online services. Like what you're doing right now is one step in remaining in the source of joy. You can every day spend a little bit of time in the scriptures by 
following along with us in our YouVersion Bible reading plan. We're actually starting one tomorrow about cultivating joy, and it'd be a great way that you can spend time in the scriptures and what people had said about God in this divinely inspired thing called the Bible. You can worship him, not just on Sundays, but worship him through music throughout the week. Put on a couple songs that lift your eyes from your current circumstances to eternal truths about who God is and who God's called you to be, and let that power in a creative way reignite you and realign you to what is true. And then you can spend time talking to him. This is what Christians for centuries, centuries have said. This is what prayer is. It's not fancy. It's not formal. It's not polite, but it's talking to God. It's telling God, hey, this is what's going on in my life and I need your help. That's what prayer is all about. So what is your plan for looking up and spending time with him to remain in the source of joy? The next directional uh, application point I have for you is that we need to get in. We go up to look at our source of joy, Jesus, and to spend time with him. And then we need to get in to have community inside of the church uh, with other Christ followers, connecting with one another, bearing each other's burdens and supporting one another. This is why it's been so fun over this last month to do these online table groups on Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, we had over 70 people from our church join a group and spend time in a group. And we meet over a Zoom call, which is a little awkward at first, but we check in with each other, how we're doing through the quarantine. We support each other. We ask that important question, hey, actually, how are you really doing? And we commiserate with each other, but we also encourage each other. We walk through some content together that help us take a step in our relationship with Jesus. And then we pray for each other to support each other and check in with each other throughout the week. It's an incredible thing that actually helps us stay in the source of joy. It helps us connect with God. It's when we have this community with other Christ followers. Maybe for you, it's a step is to set up a hangout, set up a phone call with somebody that you know can lift your eyes and to lift your spirits throughout this craziness. But don't try to do this life on your own because you'll be taking a step away from the source of joy in your life. So I want to challenge us to look up, to connect with our Heavenly Father, to look in, inwards to Christ followers that can help encourage you and be your running partner because they're going in the same direction that you are. The last thing I want to encourage you to do directionally is to look out, to be someone who's serving, loving, sharing the reason that you have hope within you. This is a great way for us to connect in the joy that God has for our lives, is to not just look in, not just look up, but to look out around us. What are some ways that we can do that? I mean, we can reach out to the most vulnerable among us, to check on an elderly neighbor, to check on your grandparents, your pa parents, your great-grandparents, just check on them, shoot them a text. Hey, is there anything I can do for you? Can I do an online grocery pickup for you? Can I show you how to do Kroger Clicklist? Can I help you in any way? Just to check out, um, check in with them, to let them know that you care about them. That's an incredible jolt to your faith. Being generous financially is another thing that is a way that we can look outward and we can grow in our connectivity to this source of joy. Do you know that we were wired to be generous? I mean, there's chemicals that are released in our brain when we are generous that are powerful, happy, joy-inducing chemicals. And God wants you, he's wired you to live that way. So be generous, not just to Bridgeway, but to other nonprofits that you love and that you care about. Be generous to local businesses right now that are hurting and give them an act of economic love by buying some gift cards or buying carry out from them just to support them. Find somebody to support them with the resources that God has so richly blessed you with.
Another way that you can push this out button, this direction for you to grow in uh, your connectivity to the source of joy is to invite friends who aren't religious, who have checked out away from church to come check out and join you for a Facebook watch party of one of our services or give them a link to the sermon on a podcast or video and just let them know, hey, I'd love for you to come check out the reason that I have hope. Have this reason that you have hope within you and share it with people. Now, you might think that, how's that going to actually bring joy to me? But God mysteriously does it. He, he springs joy up in your life when you are less concerned with yourself and more concerned with the well-being of others. So my challenge to you is to remain in the source of joy by having a rhythm in your life where you're looking up, connecting with him, where you're looking in, inward towards other Christ followers to encourage you to help carry your burdens, and then out to share, to serve, to be generous, to share the reason that you have hope within you with outsiders as well. That's my challenge to you. Now, I have a couple questions I want to ask you, or some closing questions I want you to think about. Are you running after happiness or are you running after joy? Are you running after happiness that isn't stable, it's not constant, it's insecure? Or are you running after joy, that unshakable thing that God gives you? <laughs> that good feeling that helps you see all of your circumstances through eternal perspective. What are you running after? And if you want to run after joy, what is your plan to remain in the source of joy, to remain connected to the source of joy? Do you have a plan for up? Do you have a plan for in? And do you have a plan for out? My friends, your heavenly father wants you to experience a deep, defiant joy in your life. He wants you to experience that. So I'm hoping you'll join us next week and the week after that as we dive more into this fight that we have for joy, this choice that we have for joy, and how we can live it out every day of our lives. But this is what your Heavenly Father wants for you, to experience a deep, defiant joy. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that you are you're good to us. We don't deserve it but you are so good to us and you, you want us to experience joy and you give us pathways to experience joys and to remain in you, the source of joy. So God, we thank you that you give us these pathways. God, I pray for my friends now that are feeling like, uh, joy feels like it's the longest journey for me. It's so far away from me. I pray that you would just give them a glimmer of hope and you would illuminate their next step, God, and give them the courage to take that next step. Maybe that's logging on to an online table group. Maybe that's scheduling a call with somebody from the church just to connect and to be encouraged. Maybe that's um, them giving something away financially. Maybe that's them checking on somebody. Maybe that's them starting a Bible reading plan. Whatever that next step is, God, I pray that you would give them the courage to not just hear this, but to take an actual step in their life so they can experience joy. So Father, we thank you so much that uh, you give us these steps and then you enable us to take them. And we thank you that you are the God of joy. Everybody agreed and said, amen.